welcome to On the Wet Coast, a podcast about sexuality and ethical non-monogamy of every variety. We talk polyamory and swinging, monogamish and open relationships, from dirty, dirty sex to heartbreak. We share our personal experiences and philosophy, observations and theories, what works for us, and where we fucked it right up. Join us on the Wet Coast. Endless amounts of research has been done on the topic of love and relationships, generally focused on the heteronormative pair bonding that is the norm in our Western culture. A few books, such as Sex at Dawn and Mating in Captivity, have been the go-to tomes for the non-monogamous looking for science that backs up our choice of lifestyle. Author Brenda Weeb has written Catch and Release, How I Use Science to Hack My Love Life. She uses her skills as a researcher of sociology and anthropology to write a review of different relationship patterns throughout human history in combination with her own intimate journal entries that document her personal journey from marriage through divorce, heartbreak, and into polyamory. Kat Stark here. On this episode of On the Wet Coast, Flick Morrison and I are joined by Brenda Weeb to discuss non-monogamy and science. Welcome, Brenda. Thank you for having me. For science. (laughs) Before we get started, why don't you tell us about yourself? So I have a background, like you said, in sociology and anthropology. I love school. I'm a big nerd, and so I stayed as long as I could. (laughs) Um, So I have master's in sociology and anthropology. Right now I live in Utah, and I do social work. I live with my partner. We've been together a couple years, and yeah, we're happy and poly and date other people, and life is good. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was really interesting reading the journey in the book to go, you know, from in the beginning with the marriage and and your marriage dissolving and you deciding to make some other choices through the other relationships and then eventually onto. I assume the relationship you're writing about, sort of at the end of the book, is the one that you're currently in. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, some of your story is almost what people fear most about exploring non-monogamy coming from an existing uh, monogamous relationship, which is, you know, what if, what if, you know, my relationship ends? But you know, obviously, monogamous relationships end for all kinds of reasons that have nothing to do with fucking other other people. It's true. I think that people see monogamy as the security blanket, and it's really not. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. it's it's more it's more like a, um, a an illusion of mm-hmm. security, which no, I guess all illusion really is. Um, I I remember probably the first thing I ever read um, in the in the realm of of academic studies on non monogamy was. Uh, Anatomy of Love by Helen Fisher, which um, almost kind of predates a lot of the the jargon and culture that we have around non-monogamy. It predates, you know, the the term polyamory, and is uh, was a, a really interesting sort of uh, early exploration of of the whole idea of of other biological um, uh, drives for us uh, that that explain. You know, pair bonding plus, which is kind of what a lot of non-monogamy is. Right. And 
I read a lot of different um, research. There's a lot out there, and it's really fun to get into the science for me in particular because that's just how my brain works. And so um, to be able to just know why we do things the way that we do to help kind of me make my own decisions, which is what the book ended up being, my own journey of doing all of this research and trying to figure out if there was answers in science to to help me personally. And I was just really glad that there was so much existing research for me to read. And even when it was conflicting, it was still really fun to get yeah. into all of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, um, you you mentioned in, in your book that a lot of the a lot of the research that um, that's been done uh, historically has been really biased about trying to justify the the culture that we have um, that you know that that uh, uh, that vilifies all models other than standard monogamy. Yeah, and I think a big reason that that's been the case is up until so recently, first, the church was still such, I mean, it still is, especially here, but just such a major influence on how people think. And it has been for thousands of years. And so they were the dominant social force saying, this is the way you're supposed to do things. And so then over the 20th century, when science was first really starting to become more prominent. We had all of these different fields that were really finally just having all of this research done, but it was all being done by rich white men. And so, of (laughs) course, (laughs) they're going to have their own biases. And these Mm -hmm. two forces together created the, the playing field to where it was like you said, they were trying to find monogamy in nature to prove that this was like some pure right way of doing things. And then as research became, or as the technology became more advanced and so we could do better research, they found that a lot of the findings that they had were wrong. And so that was one of my favorite things that I (laughs) came across in my research. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I think, you know, the discussion of, of the birds that, that go have like a quick shag, you know, behind the bushes while they're, while they're wandering along. Um, as you know, the, <laughs> the females, you know, that slipped off and, and mm-hmm. that there's a lot of non-monogamy that happens, you know, kind of stealth in mm-hmm. nature that, um, was really quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, and part of it, too, that was so interesting to me is part of the, the 20th century male story, too, is that males have all of the sperm. And so they're supposed to be wanting to get all of their sperm out there as much as possible. And then mm-hmm. the females just trying to, you know, catch a man and hold on to him for dear yeah. life. But then, no, actually, the females were just much sneakier. And so they didn't see them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah the the old the the pervasive myth of the the choosy females and the promiscuous males. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always thought that was funny because it's like, who are all these males sleeping with? There's there just like one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a numbers game. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, and and as you write in the book, and and we've probably talked about it before, there the risk of infidelity in to women is just has traditionally been so much more um you know the risk of just being sexual for women is is just so much more and so you know generally 
even probably with animals, you, the females just need to be stealthier because there's there's more at stake. You know, getting the young to adulthood to reproduce themselves is the thing that needs to happen. Right. And if you have a male who finds out he's raising offspring that's not his, he's not going to be very happy about it. And so then that's mm -hmm. risk for the offspring. And so, yeah, exactly. She had so much more. So even in nature, there was a lot to, to risk. But yes, with humans, I, I think that's what makes all of the... Um, the stories of, of women still being promiscuous and wanting to explore their sexuality just that much more interesting and brave because knowing that they did face so many more risks all throughout history and even today. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think we're pretty great. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, to this day, there's mm -hmm. magazine articles like, you know, do women like sex almost? Like, <laughs> like it's just, you know, like and there's still the myth of the female orgasm and, you know, like all this stuff is still like written about, like mm -hmm. as if like it is like, what? You know? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it just seems so absurd you know that that we just don't seem to be able to shake this myth as the, like the, mm -hmm. the sexual male and the timid you know you know closing your eyes and thinking of england kind of woman right <laughs> well and and uh the sort of culturally um economic freedom and sexual freedom tend to go hand yeah. in hand yeah where uh, you know, the the poorer the people are or the more economically dependent that that uh, the couples are on each other, there's less philandering because the risk of philandering puts your entire life at risk as yeah. opposed to, to, you know, just your relation. And your children's too. For yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, and, and being like, geeks ourselves, like, it, I loved the science information in the book, but I... I also, because I'm a big perv, liked peeking in on your life um, and reading the dirty stuff. And just like, you know, I just like seeing like what other people have done and, and you know, having, having written my own sort of memoir type thing not that long ago, like just seeing sort of my journey. We always have to take shots when we say journey. Yeah. Um, my journey, <laughs> you know, as compared to yours and, and like where, where we've ended up, it's, it's was really fascinating. And I was glad that you did all the, like, you got to dive deep into the research and really enjoy that. And then you got to just kind of, like, siphon that down into something just kind of understandable for me. And I could just read the summary and be like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we, so we don't have to go to primary sources and read, read all the papers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to write something, because um, I did, I was in school for so long, and I love writing, but in school, the writing has to be so dry. There can't be anything personal or funny or sarcastic, and so I wanted to write something that had the science, but was also personal and interesting, and I wanted to have, I talk about this in the book, I really wanted to have my story in there too because I wanted my biases to be apparent when I was making these interpretations. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
I think with something like love, it's just so personal. Like, I mean, the whole time you're in school and doing research, it's like you have to be objective. You have to be objective. But it's like when you're writing this kind of stuff, and part of my book, it, it does. I mean, it, I do have my journal entries, and I was. It's not entirely matched up the science bits with the the journal entries, but it's pretty close. And so, I mean, I just remember, like, right, I had this really bad breakup. He was my rebound right after the divorce, and it was just like it just changed my my writing and my feeling about things. And it's, I think, it's pretty it's pretty apparent in the book when you're reading mm-hmm. it, you can see the shifts. <laughs> yeah, and like that was it was so so fascinating to see those changes you know as the relationships were changing as well like because like that's what life is and when i was trying to figure out kind of exactly what we were even going to talk about today um besides like hey i know this awesome person and they wrote a book um <laughs> that you know thinking about like moving on and moving forward and and how everything shifts and changes and and you sort of go into things thinking it's going to look like this and especially for those of us who end up in non-monogamy like it it never ends up looking like you think it's going to no you're right i mean even now so i've been with um so he's gil in the book two years now and he was my um so he was my first boyfriend when i was like okay now i'm Polly. like i got on okay cupid and i changed all the filter so no one showed me <laughs> Polly guys it's a very convenient tool that they mm-hmm. have <laughs> um and and i thought okay this is going to be easy i met him right away and we got along really great but then like i didn't really um have another steady partner for a while and he did and didn't I guess I just thought at the beginning it was like okay now I'm dating multiple people I'm gonna find my you know two or three people and date and that's just yeah you know (laughs) how it's gonna work out and just find um, my three and only right I know something but um but I think what ended up happening too which I worked out really well for me personally is um like part of what Polly ended up meaning for me is like really focusing on myself as one of my partners. And so pretty much giving my book the emphasis of a partner. I think that's the only way that it got done. And so there's nights where it's like, okay, I can't go out. I can't do anything. I have to stay in and work on this. And so that's something that also ended up being a surprise where it's like, well, my book ended up being one of my partners, but that's kind of cool, you know? <laughs> that is cool. And, it, and it's really interesting seeing your relationship with yourself as one of your relationships that that needs to be cultivated because so much of of uh, monogamy culture is about what you give what you yeah. you know what you sacrifice for your partner and your family and mm-hmm. you know and and looking after yourself is um not only is it you know a, a tertiary consideration but it's it's almost selfish it's a bad mm-hmm. thing to look after yourself mm-hmm. uh instead of instead of trying to to take care of your your partner right now that's i think that's one of the biggest things that's changed for me in relationships is that um so i I mean, I was raised very religious, and I think in, I mean, putting that on top of traditional monogamy, you know, it's very much like the wife is supposed to serve her husband. And even though I had left the church or whatnot, but that was just so ingrained in me. And I caught myself toward the end of my marriage and realized that I had just completely sacrificed everything. And I thought that that's what I wanted, and I thought that was okay, but then I was miserable and was like, this is not what I want to do the rest of my life, and I Mm -hmm. can't 
keep mm. this is not the kind of relationships that I want to have. And so being able to not only have my relationship with myself, but also have really important emphasis on my relationship with my friends, like just my female platonic friends. And I, I especially, so that was my biggest lesson from my rebound relationship is I, I moved I after my divorce and I made a pretty great group of friends, but then I met this guy and it was like, the stars aligned and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> we were spending every second together and I ended up losing all of my friends. And so then four months later, when uh, he dumped me, I kind of had to just start over again, which was not fun. And so mm-hmm. now I know that I have, she's one of my best friends. I see her all the time. And even though she's not a romantic connection, like I feel like our emotional connection is, is like a partner, like looking at it that way. And I think that's another really important thing that I've learned because in monogamy, it's like, oh, you have your your partner that you marry and they're supposed to be your best friend and your main emotional support and all of mm-hmm. this. And it's just not fair for to put that on anyone. No. And, and if somebody is, you know, bad or even mediocre at one of those aspects, it's, you know, it's a it's a huge flaw in a monogamous relationship. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, in, in polyamory, um, you know, being able to to get that party relationship somewhere else, uh, or or at least supplement it. Yeah, yeah, and we've always like really rolled our eyes about the best friend thing. Like <laughs> it's like whenever I you know see people's posts about you know oh and my partner and my best friend and we're at a wedding and you hear it and the vows and you know we just look at each other. And, you know, pre- <laughs> we, we, it's almost creepy in a way. Yeah, and, and we we generally stop ourselves from making the barf faces. When we're in public. <laughs> Probably good. You stop um, getting invited to weddings if you do that. Yeah. Too many times. Oh, if only. Yeah, just blah, blah. <laughs> gross. Um, but but yeah, like this idea, uh, you know, it's. I think it's one of the pieces of the like the toxic monogamy culture is that one partner as absolutely everything, and they're supposed to fulfill you and build you up and and like constantly sexually excite you and you know challenge you and help you grow and like and there's just like. Yeah, awesome. If all of this stuff happens, that's fantastic. But it is a huge amount of of pressure to put on one relationship. Well, and, and you know, and, and um, it it might be like that sometimes, but yeah. it's it's you know expecting it to be like that always and forever is it, yeah, it's it's a lot on one person. Yeah, because we've we've been together. Um, I guess coming up. Like, I guess it must be 24 years now, because yeah. we met right around this time of year. Um, we're not exactly sure when. <laughs> we're not very good at this stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, we've spent 24 years together. You know, we've been together longer than we weren't. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, moments of, of our lives have been all of these different things. But mm-hmm. it certainly hasn't been 24-7 for 24 years. Right, yeah. No, oh, it's fun talking to you guys too because when I first started um 
So I was doing all of this research and, and reading all of these books and stuff. And then I stumbled onto Life on the Swing set and started just listen. And so I listened to a lot of the older ones when you were still on there, Kat. And then like we met at that one poly conference in Seattle. Yeah. And so it's just fun to, and then I've read your book too. So that, like you said, you just kind of feel like you know the person on this personal level. And so it's fun to be able to chat with you guys today. And yeah, hearing about your stories, like, oh, I, I remember you, ta- you hearing you talk about that on yeah. the Swing set. And, and, your yeah. and, stuff, and so <laughs> yeah and I know that um like I found when reading yours when you talked about going to uh like going to Portland to the conference <laughs> and meeting people in the hot tub I was like I was one of those people <laughs> I was in the hot tub <laughs> um, so yeah it was like I was totally dorking out about uh dorking out about that so it it is a lot of fun to have those connections and to just see the cool shit people are doing. Like, I, I get very excited about that. I've just, I've got it as a heading, why do people cheat? That's a, a little <laughs> bit of a big, uh, big kind of thing. Um, so I, I almost have to just quote Dan Savage because he's, I think he just summarizes it really well because most of the time it ends up being like two things um, that we see now, like people cheat kind of towards um, like right before like a big commitment. And I talk about that in my book that happened mm. to me where I was the other woman, which is terrible. And I felt awful about it afterwards, but that's exactly what happened with me where this guy, we were friends. It was just like a stupid moment. We didn't even like each other and we had sex. <laughs> and then a week later he proposed to the girl yeah. who was one of my friends. And so that happens a lot. I think where, um, I don't know. I think people are just faced with this like forever with only one person. And it's like, I just need, you know, one more time. <laughs> something yeah, one else last before. Fling. Yeah. Or you know, people, I think that it's, I mean, I just know so many stories of cheating, like personal stories. And it's just these in the moment heated feelings and they don't talk about that in the monogamy storylines that we see where it's like you're supposed to fall in love with this person and only love them forever and not have sexual feelings for other people but our bodies don't work like that our bodies are not designed to just only have sexual feelings for one person forever and so I think that you have people who this it just ends up being this unexpected thing and they don't know how to handle it it's like you're with this person for so long and even maybe you even like them and you love them and you're comfortable. But I mean, I talk about it in my book, those dopamine charge feelings that you have at the beginning don't last forever. And that's a good yeah. thing because otherwise oh, yeah. you never get anything done. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think sometimes the idea of someone else seeing you like when you've been with a partner for a long time, you sort of you you know each other and you see each other and having like someone else like see you and desire you in this way like there's just such charge in that and like it it sort of affirms like yourself in these ways that I think is rarely talked about like that sort of just like I exist you know kind of moment that sometimes like you just your life is just kind of going along and you just sort of feel like a piece of the furniture mm-hmm. and to have And you someone... know everything is going to happen. Yeah. Every, you know, the, every, 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 every Friday is the same. Every Monday is the same. See, and, and yeah, it, it shakes up the predictability. 
Right. No, one I of, think... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> one of the things... I, I think that there's a lot of things about... Uh, myths about monogamy that sabotage monogamy's success. So I think that the, you know, the idea that uh, you're attracted to this person and, and there's, there's the whole thing about emotional cheating or, mm. you know, or, or, you know, having unexpected lustful feelings. Um, I, I think for a lot of people, because this isn't consistent with their idealized idea of, of monogamy it it compl- it can undermine their relationship completely and so, and so monogamy is sabotaged by the myth that monogamy is easy if you're in love if you're right. really in love you won't have these feelings if you're really in love you know you're not you won't look at anybody else and um you know whereas for for myself kind of always you know, understanding that, you know, I'm attracted to other people and, you know, and I get crushes and stuff, you know, we were, we were monogamous for, uh, for what, like 18, 19 years. Mm -hmm. And, and for me, um, you know, acknowledging those things made it easier. It didn't make it harder because I was, you know, I, when I would get those feelings, I would, it would just be, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just experiencing that again. It's not something that challenges my reality and it doesn't threaten my relationship. And it's good. I think more people need to have that yeah. perspective because instead it's like you, it's this other extreme where like, I mean, and I, like I said, I was raised very religiously. And so it's taking all, again, like I said, all of the monogamy myths to an extreme where it's like I had people who had friends who, when they found out that their boyfriends or husband was watched porn, they were like devastated. Like it was like mm. almost like a relationship ending thing. And it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> because, because people, what they thought, which is wrong is that like well, why am i why am i not enough why can't i like 100% satisfy you sexually in every single way and that's yeah. just silly <laughs> yeah cuz you're not enough nobody is enough and that's that's something that that finally embracing that was a freedom for me because i'd mm-hmm. always kind of felt that it was my flaw that I might not be enough. And that felt really scary. But when I realized no one is enough, <laughs> right? <laughs> suddenly this weight lifted. And I just kind of thought, oh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> because it wasn't something that I just needed to try harder. Um, right. Because that is just always my methodology is if I could just try harder. <laughs> well, there's there's the two-pronged hypervigilance of, of monogamy, which is... Um, always scanning your partner for signs that they are dissatisfied or they're they're attracted to somebody else mm-hmm. meanwhile guarding yourself to make sure that you don't betray any sign that you're attracted to anybody yeah. else right <laughs> um i think my favorite chapter title in the book was how the west found love and destroyed marriage in the process <laughs> um because yeah, marriage has not always been about love, and in fact, it's it's a pretty new as far as like the timeline of humans. Uh, love and marriage is a pretty new thing. 
I think that's another thing people who hold on so tightly to monogamy don't realize because people will tell me it's all oh, the things that people will say. It's like, well, <laughs> humans have been doing monogamy for so long. That must mean that that's the right way to do things. And I was like, there, I don't even know where to begin with the flaws in that logic, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's start with the fact that it, yeah, it's only been very recently that marriage was about love. Marriage has been about economics and power and political alliances for most of human existence and inheritance. And so it's only mm -hmm. recently where all of a sudden we were like, okay, now you also have to be in love with this person forever. Yeah. <laughs> but what's but what's interesting about that is that even though uh, love and marriage have not been, um, you know, uh, uh, entwined until recently in history, um, romantic love isn't new. The no. you know the uh, um, you know the sort of the poems and uh, you know and stories that have that have been uh, you know uh, part of part of our culture um, as long as we've had the written word yeah. you know show the um, you know the um, the acts of love and devotion but th you know that's not necessarily always about your spouse the mm -hmm. you know the courtly love which was the you know loving somebody from afar mm -hmm. uh who you weren't married to and um so you know so even even though love and marriage might be new you know it's it's not as if love was you know invented by hallmark in the 20th century <laughs> no 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 I think that part is fun too that it's, you're right some of the literally the oldest written texts we have are about love and then some of the earliest ones are also about love and betrayal and, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so we had that also down from the very beginning <laughs> yeah you'd think if uh if we were meant to be monogamous, perhaps the betrayal piece uh, might not have been. Uh, yeah. <laughs> might not so, be so easy. <laughs> so prevalent. Well, aren't, aren't there a lot of filthy drawings in prehistoric petroglyphs? So really, as as long as we've been, you know, mm -hmm. um, writing stuff down, it's it's been it's been dirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think in the book you you talk. I found it really fascinating, some of the stuff that you talked about um, with, actually, I'm not even sure how to say it, polygyny, polygyny, mm -hmm, polygyny, uh, because <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I've always thought of this as polygamy, um, but um, like more than one female partner uh, for for a male. Um, and then we've got polyandry, which is uh, a woman with multiple male partners, and then polyamory, which is what a lot of us practice, which is just multiple loving partnerships. Mm -hmm. But I found when you were talking about the polygyny, um, the, the idea that when protections came into place sort of legally for first wives or for like marriage, it actually ended up leaving a lot of women quite vulnerable. And especially like in India, and there was another specific uh, example you mentioned, but I found myself just because I've always just thought, oh, you know, I, I immediately flashed to the, the LDS, like, you know, um, abuse of girls, you know, and the multiple wives, and and we've had a bunch of that in um, in British Columbia. Here, there was a, a, a town called Bountiful that, well, I think it may still exist. That um, all these horrific um, child bride kind of practices and these dirty old men with all their their girls and oh, yes. and stuff. So 
you know, I've always thought about this and it being kind of abusive and and stuff, but I, it never it never occurred to me that that women would actually benefit from this and actually be harmed by codification of marriage and laws like that. Yeah, I think that's why when I when I write, I can't do it from just one scientific perspective because to really understand something, you have to look at it from so many different angles. And so, yeah, with polygamy in these, especially in these developing countries where um, if you just, you have people from the Western world and just go in and say, okay, your way is wrong and you need to change it. And, and then without looking at all of the potential unintended consequences of trying to, to change something that, you know, from our perspective is like, this is obviously bad. This is hurting women's rights. You need to change this. Monogamy is going to be better for you. Um, but by not looking at all of these little subtle, phenomena that are going on. And yeah, at least temporarily, it hurt women because I do I mean, like, you know, later in that chapter, if you look at some of the larger scale studies, especially in Africa, the outcomes for women and children and even men are generally worse when you have this when you have polygyny. But to just go in there and and change things without trying to like fix some of the underlying problems and mm. you just end up creating new problems <laughs> yeah which westerners showing up in developing countries have, yep. have done incredibly well for mm. all of recorded history <laughs> yes. yeah there's the part that i read that i thought was so interesting like right during the beginning of colonization and you had all these missionary women coming in and being like polygamy is wrong and you should be monogamous and they're they're really confused because they're like but all of your husbands cheat on you all of the time yes like, that's <laughs> yeah exactly because you know all of their husbands had been showing up and boning the hell out of the locals for right. quite some time yes, so um yeah. yeah that is really fascinating it's like, oh, yeah, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's um, a, a lot of cultures that do practice um, polygyny, uh, it's it's practiced by such a small portion of the population because of the the economic mm. uh, cost of, of main, you know, it's, it's a status thing to have um, to have multiple spouses and. Um, it, you know, so the, the, for some of the cultures, the impact on the average person might be a lot less as opposed to the, the impact on, um, on people who are, uh, who are, you know, dependent on, um, you know, on an, on an affluent, uh, spouse and that kind of thing. Mm hmm. And yeah, most places still that are practicing it, it's like you said, it's with the LDS church, it's, it's religious and it's, yeah, uh, and it's always one man can have, the man can have multiple wives, the woman cannot <laughs> mm -hmm. have multiple partners for the most part. And generally she doesn't get a lot of say. And so, yeah, it's. Well, and, and it, it's uh, like, like a lot of prohibition, like, like the, you know, laws against sex work, it, it ends up. Um, having a negative effect on on the victims because they have less, you know, p people that are that are in um, in a, a chattel form of um, of uh, polygyny, 
they they have very little recourse. They don't have a legal marriage, so they mm-hmm. can't go after their husband. They they're uh, they're often um, you know re- you know highly highly exploited and don't really have any any recourse to get out of it because uh, you know because their their relationship is illegal. So there's no there's no legal structure to get them out of it. Right. And in around, because I'm in Utah, and so the LDS church is here. And so what happens when you have, because most of the LDS churches, of course, publicly denounced polygamy, yeah. but you still have the, like, there's a town called Bountiful here, too. <laughs> oh. This is probably, yours is like the new Bountiful. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe ours is, I don't know. Um, but they end up being like really isolated. And so you end up yeah. finding these communities in these like very rural areas. And so they, it's, it's just another way that they're trapped and don't have any way to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no resources and no support. Um, cause everything, you know, is there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you, if you escape, like, where are you going to go? Who's going to be your friend? What are you going to do? Like you just, you well, and you've received nothing to equip you for for the world out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating to me because, um, because sometimes you see people because overall polygamy is not great for women because women don't have any say in it and on and on. But so now, um, you see people who, um, with polyamory are like, why are you trying to regress? This is regressing. And it's like, Mm. hold on a minute. Wait just a second. This is entirely different in every single way. (laughs) Yeah. All of us are making choices. Yeah. And, and it's one of, it's one of the things that, um, that that makes me uneasy about uh, you know coming out to friends and family sometimes is the kind of the perception of that kind of relationship where um, you know uh, people might think that, that, that this is something that that uh, I'm inflicting on Cat and that she's enduring um, for the sake of our relationship and um, you know so when when we were when we were dating the same woman i i tried not to be in the middle when we were out in public and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah it's like no no it's not that it's not that <laughs> one of the things that you know speaking of of utah and the lds i I've, I've been thinking about a lot recently um as we're going through some some really difficult times um with some family and various things going on is I, I think back to of, to some episodes of uh, the series Big Love, and I remember like them talking like as the family was going through something really terrible, and a couple of the sister wives talking and saying like, "How do people do this when there's only like two people in a marriage? Like, how do you get through this stuff without the extra support?" Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about that and just being like, "Wow." Like, yeah, actually having, like, extra people. And, you know, of course, we all have friends and and family and stuff like that. But having, like, these intimate people, like, you know, in your home or, like, that you live right next door to or whatever. Like, these really close, intimate people that are there to support you through the really tough times. And I've found that as I've gone through difficult times over the past few years while we've been doing this, like, having that extra support has been incredible. And, and this week, um, Flick and Iris, you know, they instead of having their their date night for just the two of them, they, like the three of us hung out together because it was just a really rough week. And, you know, we got takeout and we watched a bunch of Netflix and like, 
just having that support, it, oh, I'm, I'm not going to cry on my podcast, but... Um, <laughs> There's no crying in podcasts. <laughs> it's Aww. like, it, it just means so much. And so I, I just, I thought back to that episode of Big Love because I just remembered that like, yeah, like we get, we get to have this thing, you know, without all the mm-hmm. bullshit religion and exploitation. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that makes my heart happy to hear. <laughs> I see that too, because I know when I first was getting into all of this and just figuring out the ins and outs, and, and so I don't have kids. And, and that's something that people would always say. It's like, well, it's fine if it's just you, but if there's children involved, well, mm. that's just, how could that work? And it's like, okay, a, divorce happens all of the time. Yeah. Children have to deal with people coming in and out of their lives all the time. And also, I've been seeing this more recently, too, where it's like the kids are they, – they just have extra supports. They just have extra people yeah. in their lives. Yes. And it's just – it's often better than all of the – there's just an epidemic of, like – very poor single women who are trying to raise their children. And it's like, this is just such a better way to to do things. I would think I don't have kids. So I feel like maybe I can't be, in, <laughs> you know, I can't be an authority on this or anything. But from my observations, I think that if I were to have a kid, I would much rather have this beautiful poly support system around me versus, you know, just be by myself trying to figure it out. No, I, th- I think there are data to support your, you know, your casual personal mm-hmm. observations. And in <laughs> fact, I, th- I think that there have been, uh, there have been court rulings in Canada where mm-hmm. the judges have, you know, in, as part of their, um, as part of their summary have, you know, have, have said that the, um, that children seem to thrive in polyamory because there are just more, you know, more adults to, you know, to, to offer support and you know in parenting and you know as as well as to to model happiness mhm yeah cuz you think of of what children in like homes of incredibly unhappy monogamous you know families like where the there's where the two parents like despise each other mm-hmm. versus you know and what they're learning about relationships and marriage mm-hmm. and that sort of thing um and you know, and I remember our, our one of our nieces saying to um, to Flick's mom, like, it seems like Cat and Flick are boyfriend and girlfriend rather than husband and wife, because <laughs> they see their parents who who hate each other and fight yeah. all the time, and and he and I are demonstratively affectionate, like Aww. we 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 hug and we kiss and we're yeah. kind to each other and we're thoughtful and. And, you know, like, we, we we touch each other, and we just, like, all of these yeah. things that are just part of our natural interaction. Mm-hmm. And she just, she doesn't see this as marriage. Yeah. So you're comparing that to a polyamorous family where, you know, people on the outside just imagine, like, deviant sex that right. the children have to watch. <laughs> um, but what, you know, the children get is just, like, basically extra aunts and uncles who are, you know, valuable adult humans that can support them and understand them and and maybe be a voice they can talk to if if mom and dad you know don't feel safe in that instance and like that kind of thing it's it's really fascinating and the parents have more steady reliable good babysitters so that they can have nights out and be happy too (laughs) yes exactly yeah it's such a huge thing yeah how dare you be happy (laughs) 
I feel like I feel like a lot of the backlash against open relationships basically comes down to that. Yeah. yeah. It's, we're just a bunch of hedonists over here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if um, if if they could see, you know, how many, uh, you know, date nights are just, you know, people sobbing together, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> they 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 might they might not think of us as as a bunch of hedonists. <laughs> so, do you have any recommendations for for books? for people who might like want to delve a bit more into the science side of all of this that um, either either accessible or not that accessible for the very science minded. My favorite uh, was um, I'm going to look it up really quickly because I forgot the author's name off the top of my head, but it's called The Myth of Monogamy. And that was really the shifting point for me because I read Sex at Dawn and I felt like it was just a little one sided. And because I know so much about physical anthropology, I know how difficult it is to make behavior inferences from fossils. Mm. And so um, some of that, it was just like a little off-putting to me. But then reading The Myth of Monogamy is what I really liked. It, so that's by David P. Barash and Judith Eve Lipton. And that gets really into what I was talking about earlier with the genetics. We're looking at how for so long we thought that there were monogamous animals and then non-monogamous animals and that there are these two neat little categories and you can just put everything into these categories. <laughs> but actually, now that we have all of this genetic technology, it's actually very messy. There's even variation <laughs> within species of their mating strategies. And so I think that's the book that really I think explained everything the best as far as the um, the the biology parts. So I really, really enjoyed. So as far as science goes, myth of monogamy would be my number one recommendation. If you want to know more about the science, the really you know biology science parts, and also. Um, Oh, I'm gonna have to look it up too. I should have had these out. <laughs> if you if you really liked the history part, um, a lot of that I got all from one book. And I'm gonna look that up really quickly. Uh, Marriage: A History, and that is by. It, it was amazing. Like a lot of the science or the history parts that I talked about were from this book, and it was just so good and interesting and. Like, it talked about all of these different awesome, like, sexual revolutions that have happened over time, and it was just beautiful. And that's by Stephanie Kuntz. Cool. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is that is awesome. And if, uh, if anyone is looking for more of the philosophical science behind polyamory, there's Carrie Jenkins' book, What Love Is, and, and What It Could Be that really breaks down into the um, the philosophy of love and polyamory and that sort of thing. And if you're into that kind of thing, it's really fascinating. And she is a, she's a really cool author. She's a Vancouver local and, oh, and just fun. really great. Um, There's so, so that's many another. good books. Your book. I, I love that. I'll recommend your book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that immensely. <laughs> well, I, I enjoyed uh, living through it the first time. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Uh, what else we got here? I, th- I think that's all we have in our notes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Brenda, why don't you tell us a bit more about uh, where our listeners can find you and where they can buy your super awesome book that we recommend? I have a website. It's called nonmonogblog.com. Nice. And you can find all my social media links there. My name is kind of hard to spell. It's BLWeeb69 is where you can find me. It's, so it's B is in Bravo, L-W-I-E-B-E 69. And that's where you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And my book is available on my website and also on Amazon. And there will be an audiobook soon. I'm <laughs> getting close to being done with editing it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the audiobook. I mean, I'm I I only just hit the halfway point in recording mine, and I'm just like already dreading the editing it's, process because yeah, it's, it's it's such a hassle. We need an intern. We do <laughs> a sexy intern. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hang on. What do we need the intern for? <laughs> So thanks for listening. Please help us get into the ear holes of more listeners by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or other platforms. Follow us on Twitter at WetCoastCat, at SeriousFlick, at OnTheWetCoast. Email comments or questions to contact at OnTheWetCoast.com. You can also hear a lot more of Cat and Flick by buying the audiobooks of Cooper Beckett's novels A Life Less Monogamous and Approaching the Swingularity at CooperSBeckett.com. Save 10% with code WETCOAST. Go to onthewetcoast.com for Kat's blog and more, or find her over at lifeontheswingset.com. Get Kat's book, Yelling and Pasties, The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut, available now on ebook and paperback. Go to amazon.com or visit onthewetcoast.com for links to other marketplaces. You can also support us on our brand new Patreon, patreon.com slash onthewetcoast. And check out other awesome sex-positive podcasts on the Swingset Network at swingset.fm. Hi, I'm Dr. Liz from sexpositivepsych.com, and you're listening to a Swingset podcast at swingset.fm. Oh no, I hit a random button. Don't do that, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. My, suddenly my, my outline is like, wah! Stop hitting the self-destruct button. <laughs> I, I...